0: Welcome to the Exponential Podcast, part of a library of thousands of multiplication resources. This library of resources is designed to help you accelerate multiplication in your church and community. Our mission is to equip you as a movement maker with actionable principles, ideas, and solutions with some of today's top leaders. This episode was part of Exponential's online community at multiplication.org. Visit multiplication.org to join the free community and interact with other leaders.
1: Hey, well, welcome. Um, This is our first episode of Biblically Speaking Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. I'm Christine Chang. I serve as executive pastor at River City Community Church in Chicago. And this is my first and foremost, my pastor and then my friend and co-laborer, Daniel Hill, He's the founding pastor of River City, where we now serve together. Um, Maybe just a quick word on our church. Um, We are an intentionally multicultural church located on the west side of Chicago. Um, And we are led and guided by a vision for transformation, both individually and within our neighborhood, our community, um, through our three pillars of worship, reconciliation, and neighborhood development. And... um, you know, for us, understanding our faith and the gospel within the system of race, within the context of race, is core to who we are as a church. Um, You know, we explore things like how race affects so many things, how we see ourselves, how we see our neighbor, our community, how we see God even. Um, And so that's been kind of our ongoing work as a church. And, you know, that work, Daniel, led to your first book, Wide Awake. Has Has it been five years already?
2: No, 2017, so like three okay. years. Okay,
1: three so. years. Um, so White Awake was um, such a, in my opinion, like pivotal and just a valuable work for um, – for for ministry, for people who are just on their own journey of racial awakening, uh, moving. One of the big themes, Daniel, was like moving from blindness to sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, your book has had such an impact. I know you're kind of shy about it. You don't like to talk about it that, that publicly, but your book has had such an impact nationally um, and it's had such an impact even within our church. And I think that's been um, one of the really, exciting and challenging things too for us as a church to grow we've grown so much um i guess we've just grown deeper into Mm -hmm. reckoning with the system of race um Mm. just confronting the lies that uphold the system that um that places whiteness at the top blackness at the bottom that's and just this honestly we'll talk about this more but evil man-made system of racial hierarchy Mm So our church has been wrestling with this and, um, again, growing deeper. And that's what's led to your next book, White Lies, Mm -hmm. coming up in just a couple of weeks on September 1st, my birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're all excited about that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for that intro. And um, yeah, Christy and I are both honored to be here with you all and um, uh, have, you know, I've been in in church work for a long time. I went. I started working at uh, Willow Creek Community Church in my um, young to mid-20s. I was back in the uh, late 90s. And so um, it was around when Exponential really got off the ground. And um, I've always appreciated the work that Exponential does and understand how important it is, the um, emphasis on the multiplication and leadership development and being the most potent witnesses to Christ and kingdom that we can be. So it's an honor for Christine and I to participate in this conversation, and uh, particularly in this you way, know, I, I um, so much. just comes out of my own journey. You know, I grew up in an evangelical home. You know, I don't know how many of you would specifically say the evangelical background is what you come from, but I imagine most here, if not self-identifying as evangelical, probably come from evangelical adjacent at least. And you know, my father was a, a notable evangelical pastor. He was a fairly famous scholar. Wrote a study Bible that um, was, uh, a scholarly tool for a lot of people for a lot of years. And so I've known evangelicalism from inside for a long time. Uh, but when I started really having the beginnings of my racial awakening in my twenties, um, I didn't really have the words for this back then, but I think a lot of what I was facing then is a lot of what white pastors, especially, and I know everybody on here is white, but white pastors in particular um, are facing in this day and age. When I started having a racial awakening, um, I, I didn't have biblical language to really understand the system of yeah. race. Yeah. Um, you know, um, in our environment, and again, I would imagine this is something that's shared across many of our platforms, you know, really the, the two most important and long-lasting kind of convictions growing up in my household and one that I've carried all the way in with me to ministry was um, that the Bible is uh, a central revelation of God, that that's how we make sense of everything in the world, and then ultimately... We believe that Christ is supreme over all things and Lord over all, and that Scripture reveals, you know, kind of the Luke twenty-four idea that all Scripture points to who Jesus is. And so that that was my starting point in this conversation. But there was so few resources um, around race, and uh, that came from that. And even when there was, it was so limited, it was so superficial. I mean, everybody agreed: don't be racist, you know, don't discriminate, you know, don't don't treat somebody differently. That was agreed on everywhere. But in terms of a biblical analysis of what the system of race was, you know, things we'll get into here in in this series that we're doing, they just, it just didn't exist. And the preachers, the movements that I relied heavily on, this was a foreign conversation. And so some things have changed. Um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge this, um, One of the things that's changed is that diversity is embraced much more than it was back when I was kind of coming into ministry. Um, The the notion of racial and cultural diversity was still pretty foreign, Um, you know, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. it wasn't that nobody did it. You know, there were certainly some churches that, uh, made that focus around mandate, but it was pretty rare. If you went to a church conference, if you went, if you went to something, the kind of things that our group would probably go to, you know, if we're learning about church leadership, um, diversity was never a central mandate. Um, it was, you know, something that some people did, but there wasn't this kind of perceived sense that our churches were homogenous, and that was problematic in terms of the witness of the kingdom. So certainly, that's one thing that's changed in the couple of decades plus that I've been doing this work. Is a growing impact, uh, growing focus on diversity. Um, But even still, as we're going to kind of get into today, I think that's something that's important, but um, that's nowhere near what we need um, from a theological perspective of how to engage the system of race. And so, I don't know, Christine, you want to kind of pick it back up from there? Those are just kind of some of my introductory thoughts as we think about, you know, how to step in with folks, you know, on this journey and in this conversation.
1: Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And even just thinking about my own my own journey are kind of naming this difference between the importance of embracing diversity and seeing that it, reality is that we, so many of us come from different life circumstances, different cultural backgrounds, and there is also the separate system of race. And that's definitely been true for um, my own journey and understanding like growing up, I knew that I was Korean American. I knew that I got to experience different types of food and culture and traditions. Um, and now I realize that that was, you know, that's, that's, that's part of who that's our culture. That's who I was. That's really kind of Mm -hmm. under this umbrella of ethnicity, but it was really confusing for me understanding what the system of race was. I couldn't have named it back then. Um, and that's been my hope and my desire is to understand who I am and this system that, uh, you know, that influences so much of our society from a biblical standpoint Yeah, and yeah. using um, or just like leaning on the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus um, to make sense of the world around us, which is what we're all, you know, led and called to do. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, that's definitely why I'm here. That's why I sought out River City when I first moved back to Chicago after grad school. Um, that's why I'm so just grateful for our community and, and the work that we do and why we're here um, mm-hmm. with Exponential to just kind of share and talk about all that we've been learning. hmm
2: so maybe We can give you all a sense. you know, we're going to try to have one big idea for each episode that we do. And so we'll come back to that in a second, but just even to give a sense of these 12 episodes that we're going to do on this um, channel of creating this resource, um, we're going to use a beloved verse, one I'm sure that you've memorized long ago and uh, care about deeply in your, for yourself even, but uh, we're going to kind of use Apostle Paul's words in Romans 12, one and two, um, that contrast that he makes that we're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which I think is, you know, I think repentance has many dimensions to it. Um, Certainly it's a confession of sin, um, but so much of repentance, of course, we get even the English word pensive from it, from the same kind of root of the metanoia, the word of repentance. And um, when we're aligned with Christ and his kingdom, we think differently, right? We, we, We come to embrace the mind of Christ. And that's something I realize is already a value that's held by you, um, but I think we would. We don't want to do this in a judgmental, certainly not in a condescending manner. But I think we'd like to suggest throughout the course of these twelve episodes that when it comes to the subject matter of race, and again, this is this is a daunting, even audacious statement, a bit. But when it comes to the subject matter of race, I, I don't think we have very strong theological thinking around it, generally speaking, in the white American church. Um, you know, I, I think oftentimes we're playing catch up with how. Race is being talked about in the broader secular society and much of the discourse, even right now, right? We're in a unique cultural moment. Um, earlier this year, there was a, just a series of kind of heartbreaking deaths and um, killings, you know, whether it would be Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, um, kind of a tipping point in a lot of ways with George Floyd. And so the uh, rhetoric, the conversation around this has really intensified. Um, but still, I, this, is, this is what I'm seeing in every, almost every church I go to. The conversation is still largely driven outside of the church, and the church conversation is largely reactive um, to that conversation uh, in agreement with parts of it, such as the need for inclusion and equity and diversity. at odds with other parts of it, you know, oftentimes it's a cultural flashpoint of, the politics of the Black Lives Matter movement, or in certain spaces I've been in, um, and just did a session with some churches down south where these uh, these churches had come to kind of interact with what's called critical race theory, CRT, um, which is a secular approach to dealing with the system of race. And the conversation within the church was almost exclusively around um, highlighting what they believed was insufficient manners in which CRT was dealing with race, which can, I think there can be space for those conversations, but it just, again, points to a larger problem in that mm-hmm. we don't have a strong, robust theological platform for how to enter into these conversations. Um, and therefore, I you know, again, don't mean this in a judgmental thing, I'll put myself, ourselves first in line. I think too often we're conformed more by the patterns of this world when it comes to the problem of race than having a Holy Spirit-illuminated Jesus-centric mm-hmm. view that can really confront it. So that's kind of our overall purpose of each one of these weeks. We're going to alternate. Christine and I will be kind of going through principles that are white lies. And then we're going to invite guests, um, uh, uh, leaders of color who are in this work, you know, who you know, they're the ones who are going to see this system from the clearest angle. And so they too will be coming at it from a good perspective. That's the whole purpose of this channel. But we really want to, we want to experience that each week. We want to move from being conformed to the patterns of this world to being renewed by the transformation of our minds.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Maybe we could just start first by you mentioned we'll be formatting each episode around one big main idea. Yeah. You can just state that main idea, and then we can talk through it. Yeah, um, and go from there. Um, so, again, for for today, we want to talk about how race, really the ideology and the system of race is an evil principality. These are strong words. An evil principality that stands in opposition to the supremacy of Christ. Yes. And, you know, I can say for sure when I first started, you know, I'm just becoming aware that of the system of race, understanding that this was a thing, like this, this is not language I would have used. Um, but for us, I think for each of us, like individually, it's taken really the past two decades of wrestling with this and understanding right. people's voices, speaking into our lives and understanding to get to this point where we can say that we believe race is an evil principality.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, maybe we can just start there. Like how did we come to understand um, race in this way, to see race as an evil principality? And for you, Daniel, how, how, what has your journey looked like to kind of bring you to that point?
2: Well, yeah. yeah um so kind of building on your main idea, so uh, we'd like to, you know, consistently, I think one of the problems in this field is that there's a lot of different terms that are used. There's a lot of terminology trying to describe this stuff, even in this, you're going to experience this even in in this year as Exponential kind of enters into this, you know, At rightly so, a number of different folks will be brought in to make the conversation rich, and people will use different terms to describe the same thing, sometimes more complicated people will use the same term but mean different things when they say it. So I think we've got to embrace that upfront that is um, if the subject matter wasn't already difficult enough um, terminology is tricky. I yeah. think of a consultation we did together with a church uh, last year, who was th- the pastor and the leadership was really wrestling with this. And um, they were this breaking point. They said, we brought in consultants um, to help us become a multicultural church. And we did all this teaching and training and curriculum and really made efforts. And they we get kind of stuck. And we brought in a new consulting group and the new consultant Group said, Oh, no, 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 multicultural is not the right term. Mm-mm. That's not what you want to be as a church. You need to be intercultural. Mm-hmm. And they went, Oh, okay, well help us make that shift then from the aspirations we had for multicultural to now being intercultural. And so they came to us and said, but now we're not sure which one is a multicultural intercultural. (laughs) Once again, you're going to probably run into a challenge. We use different terminology than either. It's not that I think either of them are bad ones. Um, but we we are acknowledging that there's kind of a framework that we believe theologically makes sense, but that the framing of this is pretty important. And Mm so, um, uh, and so we're going to come back to this term diversity. This is this has um, become much more embraced. Um, I, really, most churches I meet and most church planters I meet now, for sure in the city, but even more broadly in that, uh, most established churches, this is part of the lexicon now. Um, you know, and this comes from the Revelation 7-9 idea, right, of um, John who writes the passage or, you know, that recaptures the prayer of Jesus in John 17, which is going to be kind of a plumb line for all these messages in the different channels that same john who talked about the unity of the church saw unity as one that was representative of diversity right so i don't know Christine, you want you want to you, you want to maybe kind of lay that out okay especially cuz we differentiate between ethnicity and race right so i feel like before defining the dangers of race it might be helpful to define kind of the positive movements of the way we can think of diversity or ethnicity
1: yes definitely and i started to kind of hint at this <coughs> excuse me a little bit earlier but for my own journey Understanding that within the umbrella of ethnicity, this is their aspects of global cultures, language, food, heritage, traditions that I believe are God-ordained, that reflect who God is, that we reflect the image of God um, as individuals and as communities. Um, And so that was really confusing for me. Like at first, there's difference, right? There's difference in cultures, Mm -hmm. there's difference in ethnicities. And when thinking about... um, Solely thinking about diversity and the um, the the hope to have our churches be represented representative of various cultures and ethnicity like that that was a little bit confusing to me because I was like I, I see my own culture I see my own ethnicity I am proudly Korean American mm-hmm. there's so much of my culture that I love and yet. You know, for me grow, growing up, up, starting from the age of probably five years old, I can remember I, I, was, I experienced the world as being seen as less than mm. because I wasn't white. Mm-hmm. And that created a lot of internal tension for me. I'm like, is it my culture that's bad? Is it because my food is different? Is it because my parents speak a different language? My grandparents speak a different language? Is that what makes me worse or less yeah. than? Um, and as I grew older, it's that that doesn't seem right. It felt like things were kind of intermingled there. And so, you know, coming to understand, and again, like you mentioned, language and terminology is so important. Coming to Mm -hmm. see ethnicity as reflective of God's design for humanity. And of course it's, you know, sin is everywhere. We're all broken human beings, but we there that ethnicity can be redeemed Mm-hmm. but that the system of race, again, that creates this human hierarchy of value that yeah. places whiteness at top and blackness at bottom, that, that there's nothing redeemable there, mm-hmm. that, that is, that's purely man-made. Mm-hmm. It's not anything about like, reflecting God's intent or design or his image reflected in us. Yep. It is purely a power-driven hierarchy that's created by mankind um, and is inherently evil. So that was that was yeah. good for me.
2: Yeah, Thank you. So let me let me just just say the same thing now because it's as um, th- there's a couple of big words there that we're just now moving on, right? So um, this would be a suggested starting point for how to think about a couple of very different terms from a theological standpoint. Uh, we would really suggest you consider having really a pretty partitioned differential in terms of how you think of the word ethnicity and how you think of the word race. All right? Ethnicity, very much a biblical word, very much something that is from God and redeemable, right? Um, the Greek word ethnos used all the time in the New Testament, right? Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, of course, famously, we know this, this is what drives so many of our churches. Um, Jesus says, go, you know, to all the nations, to all the ethnos, right? Making disciples of all all different people groups, right? That's all different ethnicities, all the different nationalities. Um, one of my uh, favorite words of the, of the word ethnos, which I think just shows the divine and sovereign touch that's part of that. Um, Acts 17, you remember Act 17, where the Apostle Paul is in Athens um, uh, uh, at Mars Hill, talking to the Athenians, and um, he's describing to them this unknown God they're searching for. Now he's gonna try to help them understand the nature of who Jesus is. In um, Acts 17, 26, I think it is, um, uh, um, Paul says, from one man, from Jesus, from the personhood of Jesus, God has made all the nations, all the ethnic groups, that they should have the whole earth, and uh, it says something like he marked out their appointed times in history. Um, he marked out the boundaries of of their land, right? So uh, what that says to me is that, that, that our ethnicity, that that the uniqueness of historically where God put us, the nation group that we we're part of, um, even our physical features, the way we look—it's all part of God's good design, right? And um, uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons why this should be. Um, reinforce, But one of them, if I can just name along the way, one of the reasons there's a lot of things that make this conversation tricky for white Christians, um, mm-hmm. make this a charged subject matter. And one of the uh, uh, distortions that can come in very quickly is that white individuals think that when we're talking about the problem of race, that we're saying that white individuals, that white people are bad, mm-hmm. that there's something inherently flawed, that somehow the answer to the problem of racism is to flip flop the historic Um, dehumanization of other groups and then switch it to white people and make white people less than, which that's a total distortion of what we're talking about here. Um, One of the reasons that ethnicity is helpful to remember is that it affirms and honors the imago de in every person, the image of God in every person, including me as a white male, including you, right? So we're not discrediting or diminishing the personhood of any group. Um, so ethnicity, ethnicity, I think, is what's inside of the diversity, the diversity movement. In Revelation seven nine, when it talks about every nation, every culture group in heaven being together worshiping God, this is a recognition that um, I, I like. A, I like how one of my friends, who's a professor out at Southeast University, says this. He says um, when we look at the end, the eschaton, we see that ethnicity comes with us to heaven, but race does not that ethnicity comes with us to heaven, but race is not. So that's what Revelation 7 and 9 is getting to, that there are these cultural ethnic differences that are from God. And so um, it's, I really do think we almost have to like clearly differentiate these two words. Like I'd go so far to say, like, you should never, ever, ever use ethnic and re- ethnic and race, ethnicity and race in any kind of synonymous way. One is from God and redeemable. One is from the evil one. And that's what we're going to be developing over these next few episodes. Um, So, that's where we're going. So, sorry, I'm going a little bit long here, but um, we want to contrast this with race and Christine's kind of referred to this a number of times that we see race as a system, as a construct, as an ideology um, that's evil in its intention. And if I go back to my own journey, I'd say even from the moment I sincerely started trying to understand race from biblical perspective, it probably took me two to three years to kind of wrap my mind around a concept I'm hoping it takes 120 seconds for you to wrap your minds around. Um, But again, because I didn't have biblical frameworks to begin with, I had to really go outside of the church to wrestle with what race was. And there's way more resources now than there was 22 years ago or whatever when I started trying to find this for myself. But I had to really go to academic settings to understand race. And the first thing that academics would say is race is a social construct, that you'll never understand what race is if you don't understand the starting point of race as a social construct. If I'm honest, that was super confusing for me because, of course, my starting point is, no, like, there's one human race, right? And that's a reflection of God's good design, right? So right off the bat, you're confirming every suspicion I've been told that these racial conversations are political or social or anti-gospel in some manner. Um, What do you mean race is a social construct? But eventually, I realized, no, they're 100% right in that talking about race as a social construct is not in any way challenging the larger picture, which we just said, that ethnicity is a reflection of God's good design, that every human being was carefully put together by God, you know, chosen before we ever breathed their first breath, right? Psalm 139, um, knit together in our mother's womb. None of That's, that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about race. We're talking about a classification system. All right, this is a pretty generally agreed upon understanding of race. Race is a classification system. It takes perceived physical differences and doesn't just notice the differences. That's not the problem. What, what the system of race did was to perceive physical differences and attributed human value to them. Right, Um, and 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 this is we 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 do this so naturally now calling race evil, but that's still a term. That's a concept. This is a Romans twelve idea. I think. I think that is a shift to think of race as evil. And so let's get to it. Why is race evil? Race is evil because this construct was created for exclusively evil purposes. Mm -hmm. Right. The system of race was intended to create a you know when you know, my ancestors are Irish, my ancestors are German, my ancestors are French, right? When when the different groups from Europe started coming to America, they were not called white back then. Mm-hmm. This racial category of white did not exist. And we're not going to be able to get into the whole history of today. We're just trying to get to the kind of essence piece to start this conversation. But there was a system, a, a construct that was made that started blending rich and poor European people who were killing each other back in Europe, but in the context of this environment in which there was a ferocious kind of battle between indigenous people and the incoming European, and then there was this horrid, far-reaching evil system of slavery that was really required in order to make the economy work there had to be a construct, a way of organizing human beings that not only made sense of the battles between European people and indigenous people, not only made sense of European people owning black people in the context of slavery, but could attribute meaning to it, could attribute a story to it. Mm-hmm. And so we'll get into some of the like, more specifics of that in these additional episodes because it's a lot to contend with. But for today, what we really want to suggest is that um, you really should think of race as a human invention, um, almost everybody who studies race, academic or not, would say it's 500 years old or less, for the most part. That really is very tied, particularly to the advent of slavery, that it was required. And just to nail this all the way home, this is why we're saying it's evil. Um, ethnicity and everything created by God is, is honoring God as creator God. It's saying God's sovereignty is behind everything, right? And at the heart of ethnicity is the Mago that says, Genesis 126, page one, right? That human beings are created in the image and likeness of God that our, our inherent sense of value and worth does not come from what anybody else says we are. Our inherent value and worth doesn't come from how much money we make or what school we go to. Um, our inherent value comes from being made in the likeness of God, in the image and likeness of God. And so that's the Imago Day. What race says, this, this is the bottom line, then Christine, go ahead and jump in wherever you think you know, we should kind of take this as we start moving towards the end here. Uh, the system of race is a direct assault on Imago Dei. Yeah. The system of race tries to rename people. It tries to say, no, no, no. Like literally it says, your your value does not come from the Mago de. Your value does not come from who God says you are. Your value, your worth, your sense of self comes from where you fall on this racial hierarchy. This racial hierarchy that's always had white at the top, that's always had black at the bottom, and that has measured, you know, Christine's talked about some of her own experiences as a Korean American woman. You know, everybody's measured between these two poles of the superiority that's attached to whiteness, the inferiority that's attached to blackness. And it's evil, not only because of the many ways we can see that have uh, damaged and hurt people from this, but at its soul, at the soul of the construct of race is a direct assault on the personhood of God. It says, Imago is not what organizes how we think of people, the the, the narrative of race with whiteness on top and blackness on the bottom. That's what organizes human value. And, You can't understand anything happening in society around race if you don't really get to the heart of how the system of race works. So we'll get into that in additional sessions. What we're trying to say is like, while there's all kinds of implications to it, it's at its core a theological problem, right? Because if something creates a lie, a story, an alternative depiction of human value, the challenge of the Imago Dei, that's evil. That's not just bad, it's evil. It has evil intentions um, to rename human beings based on a calculus different than the way God has named human beings.
1: Yeah yeah yes and like like you mentioned so much of how we're um organizing our thoughts and sharing through this through this series is around this movement of a worldly conformed view of race into a transformed view so we're just really kind of scratching the surface right now just kind of lay lay the foundation initially and then each of our sessions will kind of dig into this a little bit more because that is that's a big movement um going from what the world says to what um, we believe is theologically driven Um, We started to, you know, make this differentiation right between ethnicity slash put diversity kind of in this first category and addressing, confronting the system of race. And at River City, I think it's fair to say we see both as like two, almost two separate streams of work. Both take concerted effort. It takes concerted effort to see and honor and celebrate the different um, ethnic backgrounds that we all bring together as a multicultural community it also takes intentional effort to confront and dismantle this evil system of race that yeah. we're talking about. And so if, as we've kind of journeyed through, I think we felt that if there's any type of imbalance, if there's, if any of those two streams are ignored or deprioritized, you, you kind of feel it in the community. Um, yeah. people feel unseen in different ways. Um, people feel unheard or dishonored or disrespected. We both need to, um, both need active work. Yeah. And so that kind of leads me to where I'd like us to kind of wrap up in the, the, these last few minutes is um, one of the bold statements you make in White Lies is that focusing on diversity alone is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can just kind of close us out by sharing a little bit more of how you came to see diversity as dangerous in that way.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I'm going to have to do this off of memory again, but <clears throat> I'm thinking of John 17. Um, the Lord, you know, again, the, the prayer of unity, one that's going to be driving, not just our 12 sessions, but that will be part of exponential big push this year in this theme. And <clears throat> I think John 17 reflects both sides, the positive movement of diversity and the danger of not confronting race, right? So on the positive side, John 17, again, as he's talking about, may we be one as you, the triune God are one, right? He's got, he's got revelation seven, nine in his mind that oneness is, it's not just ethnic and um, cultural diversity, but certainly includes that, the fact that in heaven, that's a premier feature, is that the different ethnic um, cultural backgrounds are represented, you know, in a worshiping kind of place. Uh, there's certainly, there's all the different ways, as Christine just said, where we want to both celebrate the differences and learn how to create space, right? I mean, that's complicated work all in its own, how to create kind of a forward-moving space that recognizes and affirms and embraces all the different cultural groups that are there. Um, but it's always it's always kind of telling to me that in John 17, again, I'm, I apologize, I don't remember the exact verse, but it's, it's, this is close to the, the, the sense, Jesus, when he's praying for the disciples, he says, my prayer is not to take them out of the world, nor to protect them from the evil one, it is to send them in, yes. right? It is to send them into the world, representing my... My kingdom, my message, my light. That's my paraphrase a little bit on it. But you, you, when when you go to that part, when he's when he's saying, "I'm not trying to take them into the world. I'm trying to protect them as they go into the world." It's this notion that. You know, this is, the, this is the theological language we use, right? Already, but not yet, that someday Jesus will return and completely vanquish all evil, and we look forward to that day. But until then, uh, the weeds grow next to each other, right? Um, the, 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 there's both Jesus who comes to bring fullness of life, and there's an evil one who tries to steal, kill, and destroy. In the Lord's prayer, we, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but we finish it by saying, so therefore protect us from the evil one, right? And so, I just think it's just a pastor's job in general. It's a, leader, it's a leader's job in general to do both, to pursue the abundance of life, and I kind of put ethnic diversity within that one. If There's a fuller version of who we are in Christ when we're all together, but there's also recognizing that imminent threat of evil that would always distort and discredit and undo to the best of its ability God's work, and that's what we're trying to say, the system of race. If you're not attending to it, um, you know, it becomes kind of a Genesis 4 idea, right? Where it's like uh, sin is crouching at your door and wants to have you. Um, we would go so far as to say is like the race and the lies that kind of sustain that are always crouching at the door, trying to make itself look not quite as dangerous, but ready to attack at any moment's notice. And so, again, as Christine said, I don't think it's one or the other. I think we have to continue the forward movement of reflecting the full dimension of God's people and we have to be aware of evil. Like that's not God's intention that we're removed from that as I would go in and take it on toe to toe, I believe.
1: Yes, yes. We can just kind of close out there. I think mean, that's our that's 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 what we feel compelled to do. I love that you use this idea of pastoring people through these two these two streams. It takes intentional leadership focus and pastoral work to, to honor and celebrate the diversity that does exist within our church community, our faith community, and then to do our own work. And we'll be able to share more of this as we move forward, but what our own work looks like to um, be increasingly aware, to find language, to be able to speak about this system of race, and to be able to confront the evil that it represents, um, and to make sure that there's direct um, work to protect and um, uh, lead and shepherd our church community um, and push back against the evil system of race, and be able to do that as leaders um, in our church setting. So, Daniel, did you have any last thoughts before we before we kind of well, wrap up here?
2: conditional to Q and A now, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yes. So, uh, it's, it's we get we we gave a lot there. So, yeah, let's go ahead and take the last few minutes and let people respond to it. Hey, hey, everybody! Um, we're switching over now from the presentation uh, presentation part of it, where Christine and I shared some of these ideas, particularly how to uh, biblically think, theologically organize our thoughts around um, ethnicity being a reflection of who God is and uh, the many dimensions of what that represents, but the redeemable nature of it and how that plays itself out in the context of cultural diversity, something that's very important to this John 17 idea. And then we talked about race as this social construct that, um, you know, has been created by human beings and so um, is created for evil purposes and therefore, I think, is something biblically we have to think of as a principality almost. You remember Ephesians 6 when the Apostle Paul says, we're not up against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Um, That's the kind of lens I think we have to use when we talk about race. I think we have to be unambiguous in that. So we realize it's an enormous concept. That's um, one that we're not just going to talk about that and move on for the other sessions. That That's kind of a foundational principle as we do these uh, follow-up sessions. But the purpose is now, uh, you can ask questions and you can follow up on that. So we'd invite you to submit those questions and the good folks here at Exponential are feeding those as they come in, so we're already starting to get some. So, you know, maximum will go to three, we don't have to go all the way till the end, uh, but we've got some time if you guys want to talk about it. So we we'll go ahead, Christine. How about I read this and take a swing at the first one, and then if you've got thoughts on it, now you can add to it. Uh, so first question is coming through. Uh, the black church in America has been talking about race in the United States for a long time, like in the 1960s. So why is the white church just waking up? That's actually, I think, a really important uh, and really perfect place to start. Um, so especially when folks – so let's just assume a lot of you are leaders, pastors, you're talking about this idea um, – in your churches or in small groups, even these notions of talking about a white church or a black church, people often will resist and say, that's way too overgeneralized. There's so many different histories, so many different backgrounds, so many different nominations. To some degree, that's true. Um, One of the reasons, though, we use this terminology, the white church, the black church, is to actually indeed recognize that race is a construct, that this notion of whiteness, that this notion of blackness was created as part of this construct, and that it was always created um, to intensified division and polarization and to protect power. So I actually think there is value to talk about the white church, even as it's very diverse and broad in its expression. It's for sure valuable to talk about the black church. Notably so, uh, we, we're not going to try to go into the technical details of this, but one of the most powerful seminars we did in the early days of our church at River City, uh, there was a guy named Glenn K. Ryan, who was a, a biblical ex- exegete on... Um, Kind of thinking about race biblically, but also as a historian. And so, he used to do this presentation for us at the church where he would trace the denominational histories of all the major, you know, the Baptists and the Methodists and, um, you know, a lot of the different denominations here, That ones that I'm sure are represented even right now, and basically showed historically how almost every single denomination split over race in Black people specifically, um, well, what their position would be on slavery, whether or not Black people were allowed in the church, um, you know, some of you may know the story of, like, for instance, of the uh, of the A.M.E. denomination was founded um, after black slaves were prohibited from worshiping with white Christians. So, this notion of the black church is totally tied to the concept of race. Not that it's only about race; the black church is about giving glory to God and worshiping Jesus just as the universal church is, but its literal birth was out of this evil construct of race where it said, black black people, you are less than white people, therefore, you either cannot worship with us at all, or if you do, it has to be in a segregated space that designates and affirms this um, racial hierarchy. And so the whole genesis of the black church was to reclaim the biblical ideals that had never changed of the fullness of their humanity and their, their personhood. And black in a society in where they were demeaned and diminished and oftentimes had their lives at risk every single day, um, the black church was the only place, literally, literally the only place in America for a long period of time was the only place an in institution where black humanity could be affirmed. And so Um, it should always play a critical role in understanding of U.S. history, for sure, in the church's history and whoever asked that is honestly something really important. I think we should be learning from everybody, no question. Um, but when it comes to understanding race, there needs to be a centrality of the Black voice because race was organized to discredit the humanity of Black people, and the Black church was a witness to Christ and kingdom to reclaim that humanity. And so, yes, it's not just in the 1960s that the Black church has been talking about race. Uh, the Black church has been talking about race since Black people were allowed to be, I mean, it predates even 1865 when slavery was prohibited, but for sure, you know, post-1865 when um, slavery was formally prohibited. Um, the, the Black church has always been organized around um, proclaiming the gospel, you know, in the context of this incredibly cruel and evil system that denied their humanity. Would you have anything on that, Christine?
1: No, I think that's, um, I agree that this question is vitally important and it's also just a sobering reality. Um, mm-hmm. the origins of the black church and there is some intentionality on the white church, possibly not waking up until now. Um, so yeah, history right. is important. It's important. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. We didn't talk about that part, but yeah. Yep. All right. That's good. We've got a lot of questions coming in. Um, this is, uh, like Christina, i'll read it maybe we can do a little bit more of a general treatment because i can i can see where this is pointing to but anyway one of the questions where is caucasia why are quote white people called caucasian and as a follow-up how did europeans become caucasians but asians are asians um you got any thoughts on kind of how we could like certainly we don't want to get into the super technical part of that but you, you, you have any thoughts kind of at a general level how to address that question
1: yeah again um Totally valid question. And terminology matters. So I think um, this is important. I, you know, I, It makes me think of a book I read years ago. Um, it's called The History of White People by Nell Urban Painter, I believe. Um, and there's a substantial treatment of this very question and it just reflects some of the history of the Caucasus, I think a region in Eastern Europe that was seen as and you know, the physical traits of the people there were seen as the most beautiful, um, most desirable, and so actually the origin started there. Um, but regardless of the geographic location or you know the specific origins of that term, I do think it reflects um, what we were just speaking about—just um, the the social construct again that they, these terms yeah. are humanly de- you know defined. They change over time. Um, just knowing that at some point. Irish immigrants weren't seen as white in the U.S., that the the definition of of whiteness has expanded and changed and um, really just depends on uh, those in power and what's happening in human history. But I would start there. Daniel, would you add
2: anything? Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. All right, let's keep, uh, we appreciate you opening yourself up and asking what you're really wrestling with. Um, Again, our starting point, we believe that this is critical to Christ and kingdom and that as we represent Jesus in the world and multiply out making disciples that we've got to be able to think biblically about this. So it's important that you ask and can wrestle with these questions. So here's another question Uh, you mentioned, or we mentioned the danger of focusing on diversity alone. Is that because this singular focus can cause us to miss the mark Jesus is calling to, if so, can you say more about this, including what you believe our primary focus should be on? Um, yeah, thanks. Again, uh, uh, we're going to want to come back to these options because I think this is a pretty fundamental question in terms of how, as leaders and how as pastors and as Bible teachers, how we interact with this. Um, and so, uh, let's say it a different way. To, to effectively engage Um, the fullness of this conversation wrapping in the goodness of ethnicity and the dangers of race. What we're suggesting should be the kind of biblical approach to this is that every, this isn't some churches, this isn't just like those who are advanced. We would suggest that every church should think of this as having two tiers, two parallel tracks in terms of how you're engaging this conversation. And so, we are actually trying to affirm diversity, um, and that's got kind of a forward movement part of this. Diversity is saying God has intentionally created God's people, God's children, you know, in this with a variety of national backgrounds, different ethnicities, different kind of stories and cultures that have come from that, and uh, when you create space in a church community to um, receive all of the different backgrounds and to learn from all the different backgrounds, you know, as you know, there's often different cultural norms or emphases that come with different backgrounds, and so that's a very dynamic, confusing even at times, but a very dynamic and rich experience, um, to uh, experience that in the, in the context of diversity. So, not, I'm not doing a plug here. I'm just kind of talking in, my, in the second chapter of my book, White Lies, I actually entitled it The Dangers of Diversity. And um, I actually start with the positive of diversity. That when, when, when working right, diversity helps us see ourselves better, helps us see our neighbor better, helps us see God better, helps us accomplish the mission from God for us better. I really believe all of that. I think diversity enriches every part of that where, da- where diversity becomes dangerous is if it's not tethered to this second track where we say there's this system of race, and that's the reason we were all segregated in the first place is because the profound nature of this lie, of this messaging. And if I can intermingle this, and we're going to do this over our next couple of sessions, go much deeper into the theology of this, um, but we're intentionally using the word evil when we talk about race, um, uh, because it's built on lies. It's built on this lie that human value is attached to where you fall in the racial hierarchy. And so if we go back to John 17, which is kind of the episode, the, the, the passage that's holding this whole, not only our webinars here, but you know, all different conversations, the canon conversations, the book reviews, everything, the roundtables, we're kind of using John 17 as this jump off point. Right. In uh, verse 15, um, Jesus prays for his disciples. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, right? So, even in the context, so this isn't a verse outside of John 17. This is in the heart of Jesus' prayer for unity as the body. Jesus has an assumption, a prayer even, that a demonstrable aspect of unity will be not a withdrawal from the evil that's in the world, but an engagement with the evil that's in the world. And in very I mean I I like what I'd encourage you to meditate on verse 15 because when he says my my goal is my prayer is not to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one, he is assuming they'll be under threat, right? You don't need to pray for protection unless you understand that you're actually under threat. Which is the same kind of language in the Lord's Prayer, right? When it when it finishes, deliver us from the evil one, right? I I just don't think there's any way to really think about being on mission with Christ without including the fact that we're up against forces of evil. And so um, th- th- that's that's how I would complete this thought that um, the evil's not really so much on the diversity part. You know, race took takes things that are good from God as evil almost always does and dist- 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 distorts it, um, uh, denies the kind of full truth in it, adds lies in it. But race becomes this really dangerous is this really dangerous construct that messages us constantly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and hopefully this will be practically, you know, in, we did a very intense series on this in our church coming out of, um, after George Floyd was killed and, you know, culminating with, with the things that happened there. And we finished with a round table that Christine and I were part of and then we had two of our black leaders. Um, and uh, Brandon Green, one of the black leaders at our church said this, he said, we know we're up against evil all the time out in the world. What do you do though when you come into the sanctuary of the church and the evil is there too? Now that's a little bit sobering, but I think it's the real picture of what we're up against. And that really ties to the first question, why did you need the black church in the first place? That's one of the reasons why the black church continues to play such a critical and un, unduplicative role um, in that the black church is a haven for black people to escape the evil of being told that they're less than in a society that says it every single day. And so that that's a real task we have in white churches that are shifting or churches that are already intentionally multi-ethnic? Um, how do we acknowledge and confront evil that's out there, the evil of race that continues to name and classify and value people, and h- how do we develop internal language uh, for protecting against that evil inside? I think that's a different conversation than cultural diversity, Not, not we're not pitting against each other, they're both important. That was a long answer for James. Is there anything else you'd want to add <laughs> to my lengthy response on that?
1: That was great. I think I'd just add on um, the, the evil of race is out there. And if we don't directly name it and confront it yeah. with ourselves, we bring it into our church setting. And so I think that's the level of intentionality of celebrating diversity and also making sure we as a church leadership team are holding ourselves accountable, that we're speaking truth into each other's lives, and we are not letting the evil system of race come into our our church walls, and that's yeah. kind of the protection part of it,
2: yeah. Well, Ara, uh, and I take responsibility because my answers have been long, so how about we do just uh one more of these, and then Christine, you and I can kind of go back and forth on this one, then we can close up after this one. Um, next question that came in, uh, how important is it for white people to understand that not only this social construct of racial hierarchy but also grasp their white privilege, All right? So I think that's Paul who asked that kind of bringing in this kind of very loaded charged term into it. So we'd maybe take a couple swings at this and kind of think about this. Uh, again, I'm happy to start since we're talking about white privilege specifically, but if you've got any thoughts on this. Um, uh, so let me, let me say, and I, I know this term white privilege will come up a lot in the conversations, um, the candid conversations and the, the round tables. Um, uh I do think it's an important concept to engage with. Uh, I think it's maybe helpful to take the white off of it first and just think about privileges a little bit. Um, uh, and then from there, we can talk about how kind of race plays a role within it. Um, there's a pastor here in the south side of Chicago, Reverend Julian de Chazier, um, who does a lot of work around race stuff. And he defines privilege. I mean, he would admit this is not the 100% comprehensive definition of it, but I think it's a pretty accurate starting point. He defines privilege as simply the ability to walk away. And so that would be one of the ways to identify privilege we have in any arena. If there is a system of power, a system of oppression, a, 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 anything that puts a certain group of people in harm's way, if it represents a threat level for people, um, if it's if it's possible that one group is threatened by this and you are not, and it can be it, you have the luxury of kind of treating it as a conceptual conversation that you can come in and out of. I for me that would be one of the most substantial ways. To identify privilege, um, it's not, it's not make it, it the idea of privilege is not a commentary on how easy or difficult your own life has been. It's not a commentary really on much of anything in terms of your own experience, other than to say that this thing that threatens a certain group of people, that puts a certain group in harm's way, doesn't put you in harm's way. And uh, you might care about it a lot, you might not care about it a lot, but the, the fact that you can decide whether to care about it a lot or not care about it a lot is in itself a form of privilege. And so that would be the starting point of how I would think about white privilege. It doesn't get to everything that needs to be said on it um, because there are privileges that white people, um, differently if you're a male and a female, there are privileges that come with it. That would be kind of its own whole conversation. But I really would say two things I want to say. This is the first big one. To me, this is the most important part of white privilege is simply naming the fact that the system of race, we talked about the hierarchy that puts superiority at white and inferiority at blackness, the the threat level or harm level of race is then flipped on that. So the system of race, the the group that it most seriously endangers is black people, um, and that there's these daily realities that are born out of the lie of inferiority, whether it would be the disproportionate rates in which incarceration happens, um, the disproportionate rates in which police brutality happens, the disproportionate rates at which they're denied access to certain kinds of jobs or uh, where they live in certain cities. There's just a lot of measures we can look at. And the group that's least affected, least, that's least threatened by the system of race would be white people. Um, Because even if you don't think about it on a daily basis, there's just no daily threat that comes from being told you're better than everybody else, right? Now, we could certainly argue that at a soul level, that's very dangerous. I think it is. And so from a Christian transformation standpoint, I think we need to be delivered from that. Um, But in terms of day-to-day reality, our livelihood is not at risk because there's messaging out there that says we're better than Oh, my answer is long. I'll try to say this uh, the second one quickly. As important as that is to wrestle with white privilege, I think it is. The danger about white privilege is it makes – I start thinking about myself a lot in that situation. I start thinking about what does it mean for me? And the work, work Christine and I are trying to do here early on is actually not to minimize the work you and I need to do as we think about it, but we're trying to fix our eyes on the evil that's out there to start off with kind of use that john um 17 15 verse again when jesus says my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but protect them from the evil one we're, we're we're inviting you to think more seriously than you've ever thought about and to analyze more seriously than you've ever analyzed from a biblical framework um what is the system of race why was it created how does it work and what is this relationship with the evil one how does the evil one use the system of race to divide to conquer to hurt to kill to steal to destroy And uh, at a functional level, I've observed that when white privilege becomes the dominant conversation point, it completely turns away the attention from the system of evil that's at work. And um, that's dangerous, right? In a perfect world, we're going to be able to talk about both, you know, how the system of evil works and how that privileges us. But if there's a critical biblical starting point, I think we have to understand how the system of race is used by the evil one. And that's going to be a big thrust of Christine and I throughout the sessions that we do. Would you add anything to that?
1: Yeah, I think I just build on, I I like where you ended with how, you know, focusing on white privilege turns the focus inward. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what was coming to my mind is that we do need to check our privilege. And I own that. I carry a lot of privilege as even as an Asian American female, right. And in our society, Um, but addressing privilege can't be the end goal. Like that's not the thing that we're focusing on. Um, Ultimately what we are, we want to focus on gospel truth. We want to identify the evils and the lies that um, take us away from fixing our eyes on Jesus, Mm -hmm. the perfecter of our faith. And so um, again, I do just to kind of reinforce that point that um, that checking our privilege is important, but it's part of the journey um, and making sure that we're focusing on systemic issues and and the church um, in our community. So, yeah all right
2: well i think we're pretty close to the end and since we can't answer any of these questions too quickly we'll probably just wrap it up there and uh thank you so much for your engagement thank you for the way you're listening and responding and um, thinking through this and um, our prayers are with you right i mean i just never stop thinking about Jesus' words after the confession of peter that um, i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it so we talk about the gates of hell that's synonymous to this idea we're talking about of the evil one being protected from the evil one right that Um, This is reality um, in every generation that the church has so many beautiful, beautiful commissions to it to reach lost people and to uh, bring them into faith with Jesus and to disciple them and to be the kind of fully comprehensive type of community that God has intended for us. All those things are so beautiful to multiply, right, to to engage with mission. But in doing so, we're we're always cognizant of the fact that the evil one is real and that the evil one is trying to discredit the work of God. And so um, race is one of the primary ways that in our context, in our historical concept, the context that the evil one has been operating and by some measures with a whole lot of success. And so um, as we build the church together, you know, I think it's really important that we have the mind of Christ on this. So thank you. Grateful for our time together. We'll wrap it up here, but uh, we'll look, look forward to seeing the same place, same time next week and uh, continue the conversation. Thanks. Be blessed.
3: All right. Well, guys, thanks for hosting that for us today. We greatly appreciate it. And I uh, just want to thank all of you for attending today and to remind you that we're starting up another show tomorrow, which is at 11 a.m. So each of these shows will run at 11 a.m. Pacific. If you're Eastern, it's two. And obviously, if you're Central, it's one. It'll be the same time every day. But tomorrow's show is called Practical Multiplication with Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce. You remember that we were looking for a level five multiplier, and uh, Ralph Moore has 2,700 and something churches that have come out of his very simple uh, practical methodology of discipling three people at a time over a 50-year span, and that's what that looks like at the end of that, is uh, besides multiplying 2,700 churches He's obviously multiplied many more leaders and uh, even many more um, just believers activated in their in their gifts and purpose, which is equally as valuable. That is the key to multiplication is every believer released in their gifts. So just want to thank you for tuning in. Be sure to come back onto the online community tomorrow, The Hub, uh, 11 a.m. Wednesday, and you'll join these two
0: next week as well, and we'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this Exponential podcast recorded in our online community. We hope you enjoyed the content. In the fall of 2020, along with our community online daily content like you just listened to, Exponential is hosting roundtable events across the country and building a leader kit with over 100 plus resources. All of this is to help you engage in a healthy conversation for kingdom collaboration, diversity, and unity to advance church multiplication in your city. Visit multiplication.org for more.